Hey everybody, it's Chris. Welcome or welcome back to the Beyond Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this conversation, would you head to our socials at Beyond Church AU, either on Instagram or Facebook and give us a follow. That's the easiest way to share this content with a friend who might find it helpful. And while you're at it, you can click the link in our description to sign up to our email newsletter. That's the easiest way to stay up to date on everything that's going on around here at Beyond. But in the meantime, I hope this following conversation inspires you to take your next step on your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, you can, you can grab a seat and relax. Hey, um, <clears throat> I don't know about you. I get jealous when I hear musicians be like, oh, we just learned this to get this morning. And I think to myself, I imagine if I'd just written my message this morning, it would not sound a quarter as good as that. Um, just makes me jealous. You know when people just have that talent, you're like, wow. Um, hey, but we're so glad that you're here. We're actually kicking off a brand new series uh, this morning called On Brand. It's going to be a, a shorter series. It's going to be two weeks long. And I want to bring the TV out um, as we get going because I want to I wanna play a little bit of a game. Now, I'm going to tell you about the game first before we... Oh, that, didn't, that sounded ominous, didn't it? Okay, TV's still intact. Um, oh, yeah, and I have managed... Thanks, Paul. I've managed somehow to just... Yeah... I thought I'd be smooth. It's not one of my specialties. That's why I have to practice weeks in advance so that I know what's going to happen. And even then, I still uh, mess it up. Um, We're going to play a little bit of a, oh, well, that didn't happen when I ran it through, but that's okay. Just don't worry about that. It's it's totally safe. Uh, It's definitely past the work safety assessment. Um, So we're going to start to play a game this morning uh, that is called On Brand. And I'm going to tell you how the game is going to work so that you have a moment. We're even going to do a practice run, right? Because there is a prize in this. So here's how we're going to play the game on brand. What I'm going to do is on the screen, it's going to come up some images. Now, one of these is the correct logo. One of them is not. So one of them is really on brand. The other one is completely off brand. And how we're going to play this game is you're going to be standing on your feet. And whichever way you think the right logo is, is you're going to turn and you're going to face that way. Okay, if you think it's the red one, you're going to face to your left. If you think it's the gray one, you're going to face to your right. And then we're going to decide, uh, we're going to, I'm going to let you know who the winner is. If you were picking the wrong way, you've got to sit back down, you're out. This is just a practice one. So everyone jump up on your feet. <coughs> now remember, this is a practice. You're going to get three seconds. Pick the direction and face the direction that you think. Is it red or gray? Three, two, there are some people facing front. One, there we go. Okay, if you pick the gray one, you're facing this way, you are correct. Okay. Stay standing, because that was just a practice, right? Now we know. Okay, fellas, this one really is for you. If you're here with your wife, she's going to be looking at you. Which one of these is a real diamond? Okay, is it the left or the right? Pick it, pick it now. Three, two, one. The real diamond is, it's on the left. Ah, yeah, if you're, facing to your, uh, if you're facing to your left, you can stay standing. If you're facing to your right, sit down. Here's the next one. This is for some, oh wow, okay, man, Matt, David, well done guys. Um, Here's the next one. Which one is the real Louis Vuitton handbag? There's a real one, there's a fake one. Which which side are you picking, left or right? Three, two, one. If you pick this way, if you're facing this way, yeah, stay standing. Okay, right, we've got, okay, we've got three left. This is where the intensity of the battle heats up. This one is Gucci. Which is the real Gucci logo? Is it right? Is it left? Make your choice in three, two, one. Ooh, okay. We've got two left. We've got two left up here. Dave, take a seat. That was valiant. Okay. The real Rolex. Oh, 
which one is the real Rolex? I'll give you a couple of seconds with this. I'll give you five seconds with this. Five, four, three, two, one. Good, good choice, just because we're going to mix it up. Karen, you're still in the game. Oh, okay, this is fantastic, Karen, because you're the last person standing, and this is the last one, right? So if you get this right, you win the ultimate prize. Okay, you ready? See if we can help Karen out. Karen, which one of these is a fake plant? Okay, Whoa. which one is a fake plant? I'll give you five seconds because it's kind of hard. Five, four, three, two, one. That way, going left. Okay, they're both wrong. Yeah, <clears throat> that was just my way of not having a super cool prize. Uh, <laughs> the prize is just having fun, right? <laughs> Hey, thanks for, um, thanks for playing on. Well done, Karen. Uh, you, won, you actually won to the part that you could win. So yeah, you can give Karen a hand if you want. And uh, I, wanna, I, wanted to, um, I wanted to play that game, A, mainly, because if, if you know me, you know, I think church should just be a little bit more fun. Okay, we should just have fun in church. It doesn't have to be serious all the time. Um, but also because we are kind of kicking off um, this new series today called um, On Brand. And for the next couple of weeks, we are going to explore together just the answer to one question, which is this. Um, what is, oh no, something's happened there. Um, yeah, if we could just maybe just clear the background of that. Don't worry. What is the brand of the local church? Our tech crew is incredible. Um, what is the brand of the local church? Um, for those of you, even if you're a part of our community, um, but even if you're not, you might not know this, but um, we actually turned eight on, on Friday, okay? It was eight years since we had the first kind of gathering or experience um, like this. Yes, thank you so much, Dan. Um, uh, eight years since we had the first experience sort of like this. And there are some birthdays, right, where you just sort of like you have to have a massive party and you have to get everyone around and you just celebrate and go bonkers. And then there are some birthdays um, where you just kind of like want to take the time. You want to keep it a little bit more low-key. You just want to reflect. You want to pause. You want to look at maybe where you've been and where you're going. And for us, this is, this is one of those birthdays where just for the next couple of weeks, we just kind of want to ask this question, hey, what is the brand of the local church. And if you're here and you're, and you're not a Jesus follower, you're someone who's kind of like figuring faith out, you've got a bunch of questions, I think you're going to like this series. And here's why I think you're going to like this series. Um, because churches don't normally talk about this, okay? Churches don't normally like lift the curtain and kind of go behind the scenes and be like, hey, here's why we do what we do. Here's the reasons for it. Oftentimes in church, if you're kind of new to church, you're kind of figuring it out, you can kind of walk in and it just feels like a club. Like everyone knows the rules, everyone's got it all together and you kind of like feel like the odd one out. And so we just kind of want to answer this question, what is the brand of the local church? And the reason why um, we want to do that for the next couple of weeks is because of this, is the local church has a brand. Now you might maybe feel uncomfortable with that term or that, that, like t that language, but here's what I mean by that, okay, is when, when people in the community and when you think of the local church, when you think of Christianity, when you think of church, an adjective or a picture or some emotions begin to stir up with inside of you because you have a brand or you have an idea of the local church and, and, what, that, uh, and what that looks like. And so really over the next two weeks, what I'd like you to do is I'd like to, you to take your brand of Christianity because we all have a brand that we kind of associate with Christianity. And I'd like you to take your box that your brand of Christianity sits in and I'd just like you to put it to the side for two weeks, and then after this two weeks, you can pick it back up and you can start holding it again. But for the next two weeks, what I want to do is I just want to look at what the founder said our brand is. 
what, what did Jesus, because Jesus is the founder of the local church, Jesus is the founder of the Jesus movement, what is it that Jesus said that our brand should be? What is it that Jesus said when, when people look in on followers of Jesus, when people think of the word church, when people think of the word Christian, when people think of the word Jesus follower, what is it that should come to mind? What, what are the sort of things that we want people to uh, think about? <clears throat> and the reason why I want to start um, with what our founder said our brand is about is because when you think about it, the local church really is one of history's um, great mysteries. Okay, there are a lot of mysteries in the world at the moment. It's kind of like, how did they build the pyramids? Like Stonehenge, how did that thing get like engineered? You know, you know maybe you're like the Bermuda Triangle. Like what's the deal with the Bermuda Triangle? Like well, there's a mystery around that. Maybe some of you are like into crime, you know, you're into crime dockers, and you're like, who was Jack the Ripper? Like, who is the Zodiac Killer? Okay, I know my wife, if she was here, um, she'll be at our 6 p.m., but my wife, one of history's greatest mysteries for her is like, how is it that Chris has a pile of clothes that are not dirty but not clean, and then they just end up in different places all around the house? Like, how is that, and how is that a thing that even when I create a box for that, they don't end up in the box? Like, that, that is one of my wife's... Uh, big mysteries, but maybe you look at the world that, that you live in and you're like, there are just some, some massive, massive mysteries. And, and I actually think the local church fits into one of history's greatest mysteries. Here's why. Because when you think about it, the local church, um, you have to ask this question, how did a first century cult, because that's what Christianity was when it was birthed, birthed in the armpit of the Roman Empire, which had so many gods and, and a pantheon of gods, whose leader was rejected by his own people and crucified, right? His own people didn't even kind of want him around. They ended up killing him. Survive and then thrive in the face of violent, organized, state-funded, so Roman Empire-funded resistance. Like, how did that happen? When you understand it in the context of history, and then more than that, the question is, how did a Nazarene sect, uh, sorry, how did it come about that a Nazarene sect would eventually be embraced by the empire that for 300 years sought to extinguish it. Like, how is it that in the emperor's entrance into the Roman Colosseum, there is a crucifix with Jesus on it? How is it that this empire that for 300 years was on this rampage to eradicate this little tiny Nazarene sect, all of a sudden, 300 years later, embraced this Thing. And, and historians, they've kind of tried to figure this out. Historians have like asked this question, not just Christian historians, but atheist historians and people who just kind of like the first century. And they've been trying to figure this out. Karen Armstrong, she's, um, she's an atheist historian. This was her conclusion on, on, um, on, on how answer, she answers this question. She says, against all odds, by the third century, Christianity had become a force to be reckoned with. We still do not really understand how this came about. <laughs> So this is a historian, and historians look at this stuff and they go, hey, like when, when we look at the, the growth of the first century church, when we look at the growth of the Jesus movement, there is no denying that it started in this small little area of Jerusalem and then it exploded all around the Mediterranean Rim. And then it eventually exploded all into the known world. And she's saying, as a historian, as I look at it, I got really no idea how this came to be. And I think that that the only way that we can actually answer this question is to look at the documents that the men and the women who walked with Jesus wrote. What the people who were with Jesus, who observed his life, who were there, who were eyewitnesses, 
what they have to um, say about it. In fact, one time when Jesus was gathered with this group of, um, group of his followers, they were north of Jerusalem and they were heading to this little town called, um, it was called Caesarea Philippi, if you're into geography. They were heading to this town and they're sort of like having this conversation and you don't need to know a whole bunch of context of the conversation because we're going to dive into it next week. All you need to know is Jesus kind of asked this group that he was with, he's like, hey, um, what's the word on the street about me? right? Like if people have the new Instagram threads, what are they, what are they threading? Is that what, I don't know, a tweet, I feel like Twitter is a tweet, I don't know what you thread on a thread, maybe you thread, yeah. <coughs> um, gosh, I'm old, um, I'm outdated, right? And so what are they saying, what are they saying on Facebook, what are they saying on TikTok, what are they saying about me um, on the internet? And so this one little plucky upstart kind of guy, he just kind of sticks his hand up, he had a habit of doing this, and he's like, Jesus, you are the Messiah, you're the Savior of the world. And so Jesus said, great. And then, uh, he said this. This is what Jesus said. He said, on this rock, I will build my ecclesia. Now, this, this is not in our English um, Bibles. This is um, the Greek word that Jesus would have used. And the reason I've, I've put this Greek word here is because the English word that would be in our Bibles is church. And the reason we have that word church is because um, this uh, Englishman called William Tyndale, when he uh, translated the Bible from German to English, he actually didn't want to include this word uh, sorry, the word church, because the word in German meant house of the Lord that was in this word's place. But ecclesia, the original Greek word, doesn't mean a building, doesn't mean a physical location. It actually means a group of people. It means a movement. It means people who are moving together in a certain direction with, uh, on, on, a, on a particular mission. And so Jesus goes, on this rock, I'm going to build my movement of people. And then he says, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it, which is, which is a pretty bold statement for someone in the first century to make. Because he's, he's saying effectively, he's like, hey, nothing's going to stop this movement that I'm, I'm about to introduce into the world. Like, my death won't stop it. Your death won't stop it. In, in, in the future, in generations to come, people are going to have this, uh, this movement. And here's what I guarantee. I guarantee that everyone listening to this would have been like, Jesus, you for real? Like, honestly, Jesus, you know what happens in the first century to people who start movements, don't you? In the first century, when people start new movements, they get killed. And that movement gets extinguished. And all of a sudden, very, very quickly, they survive. And the reason they said this is because they'd seen it happen so many times. And in fact, it would eventually happen to Jesus. The only reason that there was something to document. The only reason that the people who were with Jesus when he said these words wrote about it is because Jesus did what no other dead person has done before, okay? He didn't stay dead. He didn't stay dead. And in fact, what that means is Jesus kind of predicted this whole movement. In fact, what that means is he predicted us. For those of us who are the local church, who are Jesus followers, Jesus actually all that time ago predicted us. And he actually said, hey, I'm going to start something brand new. I'm going to start this kind of upside down kingdom of God that's in the world. And what it's going to mean is that when people look at your good deeds, when people look at the way you live your life, they're going to lean in and they're going to look up. And they're going to wonder, hey, because of the way these group of people live their life, is there, is there something more to life? Like, is there maybe a God? Is there maybe something more to life than just this life? And then what Jesus did in the end is he did what no other king or no other queen or no other leader had done in the first century. He voluntarily laid 
his life down. He gave up his life for the people that he came to serve. No king did that in the first century. No leader did that in the first century. And then he said to his followers, he, he said, now I want you to do the same. I want you to give up your life for other people. I want you to give up your life for people that you don't know. I want you to give up your life and I want you to lay your life down for people that, uh, that you do know as well. And it was, this, it was this kind of brand of love. It was this way of living that eventually, um, that eventually changed the world. It's what um, Bart Ehrman, who's a New Testament scholar, another atheist, it's, it's what he describes as this. He says, Christianity not only took over an empire, but it radically altered the lives of those living it. So in other words, if you're a Jesus follower, it radically changed your life from before you're a Jesus follower to after you're a Jesus follower. It was a revolution that affected government practices, legislation, art, literature, music. That word should be philosophy. Um, and on the even more fundamental level, the very understanding billions of people have about what it means to be human. Which means for the very first time in the world, people had dignity. People were given value and worth. People were given freedom in a way that, that they'd never actually understood or thought of before up until this point in human history. And then he says this, however one evaluates the merits of the case, in other words, whether you think Christianity is, in other words, rather, whether you think Jesus is who he claimed to be or not, no one can deny it was the most monumental cultural transformation our world has ever seen. And yet, despite all of that, despite what the Jesus movement did 2,000 years ago, despite the way that it toppled the Roman Empire and that it's such a mystery as to how it still exists today, the church in Australia is dying. Right? When you, when you look at the data, when you, when you, and, and when, especially when you look at it after COVID, um, the, the researchers and people who are experts in this field, they say, hey, COVID actually sped up the death of the church in Australia, the death of the church in the West. I don't know how you feel about that, but you know who gets to determine whether the movement is going to be here for your children or for your grandchildren or for our community right now? We do. We, we get to determine that. And I'm, I'm convinced that more than ever, right, more than ever, it's not about coming up with some fancy new strategy. It's not about coming up with some new, brand new flashing lights, but it's actually about bringing back front and center that very thing that toppled the Roman Empire to begin with, the very thing that historians look at and they go, we just can't figure it out. It's bringing back front and center this brand of love that Jesus kind of introduced into the world. And so, in the next couple of moments that we have before we um, get out of here and get on with our Sundays, I want to talk about the brand that Jesus introduced. This week, I'm just kind of going to lay the groundwork and then we're going to get practical next week. But I want to talk about the brand of love that Jesus sort of introduced. And as soon as I say these words, if you're a Jesus follower, there's going to be a tension that kind of comes up within you. Mainly because I think that we kind of have this false dichotomy of this false tension that kind of arises we think that the local church can be one or the other but it certainly can't be both and um so i'm going to just let this tension come up as soon as i say it. i think the brand of love should be deep and it should be wide right 
See what I mean? As soon as that tension there, is, for those of you who are Jesus followers, you're like, deep and wide. Oh, really? Uh, I don't know. And, and let, me, let me explain these terms. Okay, let's start with this wide one. Okay, if you're not a Jesus follower, this is going to weird you out. It's not going to make any sense to you why Christians do this. And it's not all Christians, but this is a thing that typically happens. If you are wide, and what I mean by that is, if you start to reach people who do not know Jesus, and if your church or your movement starts to grow, do you know this weird thing that other Christians do? They'll get together and they'll talk and you go, oh, you know the only reason they're growing? It's because they've watered down the gospel. Yep, it's because they've changed the message of Jesus. Yep, oh, that's, that's why people keep coming because it's, because you know, because they've watered it down and it's become so like diluted that people don't even know what they're signing up to and people actually want to come. And you know what? I, you know why that's never made sense to me? One, because I just don't understand why you'd want to bag on, like Christians, we're all on the same team, okay? Churches down the road, we're all on the same team. I've never understood why you want to bag out another church who's on your team. Secondly, you know what the opposite of that is? We should be really small, okay? It should suck so much people don't want to come. It should be so awkward that people don't want to be a part of what we're doing. It just never made a whole lot of um, sense to me. In fact, Jesus, okay, the founder of our movement, right? Jesus, when he, the last thing he kind of said when he got his, had his crew together, he goes, here's my rallying cry. Here's my marching cry. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and make disciples, followers of all the nations, right? This is wide. And even for those, those followers that Jesus was talking to, this was revolutionary for them. Okay, up until this point in history, we've got to remember Jesus was a Jew, Christianity was birthed out of the chrysalis of Judaism. And Judaism is a religion that is between God and the nation of Israel, between God and the Jewish people. But when Jesus came around, Jesus goes, no, 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 this new thing that I'm starting, it's not between God and a nation. It's between God and all nations and all people and anyone who wants to become, anyone who wants to be a part of it can have access to it. And when you think about our community here in Griffin, did you know that over 33% of our community are first-generation Australians. Like, we have a huge community here that is all the nations. And so if we don't want to reach all the nations, then we should just kind of, like, pack up and leave. If we don't want to reach people who are not like us, then we should kind of pack up and leave. In fact, I just, I, I kind of want to, one of the questions I want to, like, have a chat to Jesus about is, like, how this played out for him. Because this, this was a little bit awkward, right? In fact, the disciples that Jesus said this to, he goes, Jesus, guys, you've seen me rise from the dead. Yeah, it was incredible, Jesus. We had breakfast on the beach. Yeah, it was mind-blowing. Okay, now you guys are in charge of the movement. You're going to take it to all the nations. Yes, we are, Jesus. And then they just hung out in Jerusalem. Like, they didn't go anywhere. They didn't move anywhere. And I just imagine that conversation between, like, God and Jesus is a bit awkward. It's like, hey, Jesus, how's the crew you are? you picked to take it to all the nations. Are they going anywhere? Well, Dad, um, Jesus, I think you need to go back and get someone else. I think you need to go and recruit someone else. And Jesus actually recruited someone else. Okay, his name was Paul. He was the person who like stepped onto the pages of history as a Christian killer. The first time anyone is martyred for their faith in recorded history is done by this guy, Paul. And God goes to Jesus, I want that guy. That, really, that guy? That guy will get it that guy will start to understand. That guy will understand what wide means. That guy will understand this is a message for everyone, regardless of where, um, of where you've been. And we're going to talk about this a little bit next week, but Jesus kind of defined wide for us when he said, go to all the nations. Jesus defined wide as this. Jesus goes, wide is your neighbor. Wide, the, my message 
is for the people who live next door to you. My message is for the people that you share an office with. My message is for the people that you sit alongside while you're watching your kids play sport or you sit alongside them while you're watching the musical recital or the dance recital. My message is for the, that person that you sit next to on the train or those people that you wait for with for the bus at the bus stop every single day. Jesus said, my message is that wide. And if you're kind of like, what does that practically look like? Don't miss next week. Here's the other thing. Um, here's the first part of that word. Is, uh, the word is deep, Okay. Wide is your neighbor. Well, what is, what is deep? And this is, this is my opinion, but I just don't think it's my opinion. I'm going to show you. I actually think this is Jesus' opinion as well. I think us in the West, in Western church, we have, we have missed and we have misdefined what it actually means to be deep. And in fact, maybe, maybe you've even said this, but maybe you've heard Christians say, I just, I just wish the worship was deeper. I just wish my church was deeper. I just wish my pastor would go really, really deep. And here's why that doesn't make sense, right? Because you don't, you don't use that language in any other arena in life. Like, could you imagine going to your personal trainer and being like, I just, I just wish you were deeper. I wish you were so much deeper. What? They'd be like, what? You go to your dentist, like, oh, bro, just wish you were deeper. They're like, you've got a cavity. Like, I don't, like what? Like, what, is that, what does that mean? Here's something you've never heard a student at university say to their lecturer, I just wish you were deeper, right? They're just like, give me the bare minimum. Give me the bare minimum stuff. I don't want to go deep. I don't want to know anything too deep. Just give me the bare minimum. Here's what most Jesus followers mean when they say deep. What most Jesus followers mean is, what I really hope is that there's a message with some Greek words and some Hebrew words. And personally, I don't know why you'd want that. If you can't speak Greek or Hebrew, why do you want to know what the Greek words are, Right? I want a Greek word, I want a Hebrew word, I want a whole bunch of Bible verses, I want to quote some dead theologians, throw them in there so we know that it's like, and we can walk away, and it's like really, really deep. Now, can I just set the record straight? Because I'm not saying that you shouldn't like want to understand the scripture, I'm not saying that you shouldn't want to understand what Jesus is saying, but let's just, let's just separate the two, okay? If you can speak Greek and Hebrew, if you can quote some theologians, that is smart, okay? That is not deep, if you rock up and you prepare a message or you have some ideas or you listen to a podcast and there's some talking points, that does not show you're deep. That shows you're smart, that you've done some research, that you've prepared, that you've looked into an area and that now you're sharing what you've researched. Deep and smart are not the same thing. In fact, this is, this is how Jesus defined deep, okay? This is how Jesus defined deep. He said to his crew, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. I want you to love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. And I imagine that if we were in the room that night, it would have got real awkward, real quick. Right? Because the people that Jesus is saying this to, they would have understand the depth of what he was asking them to do. Because in that room, there was this tax collector called Matthew. And I imagine Jesus is like, hey, Matthew, what were you doing before I came along? He's like, well, I was kind of hated by all my people. I was rejected by society. Yeah, and, wh- and what happened, Matthew? What did, what did I come along and what did I invite you? Well, you invited me to follow you. And Peter, you know, you're the guy who said that I was the Messiah. How did that make you feel? Worst day of my life, Jesus. Sucked so bad. Why did it suck, Peter? Because Matthew, I didn't associate with Matthew's type. I didn't want to be around Matthew's type. And so what did we do after I invited Matthew to follow me, Peter? We went around his house and ate with his friends. And I had to eat off his table with his utensils and eat his food. 
that was bought with money, that was probably taken from my people. And how'd that make you feel, Peter? Ugh, like I was disgusting. And then I'm sure there's other people in the room who are probably like looking at the ground and Jesus just picks out Nathaniel. He's like, Nathaniel, what about you? What were you doing when we first uh, met each other? Um, yeah, I think I dissed you, Jesus. No, you didn't just diss me. You dissed my family, you dissed my high school. You dissed like my primary school. You, d- you dissed the entire suburb that I came from, didn't Nathaniel? Ah, yeah, yeah, correct. And what was my response, Jesus? Uh, you invited me to follow you. Correct. I did. And now I want you to go and do that to others. And Jesus didn't even say what he was going to do. Jesus didn't even say, hey, in three days, I'm going to put on a demonstration for the world about what it means to love each other. You thought these little glimpses of love, this this little glimpse of my brand of love was big. You just wait until you see what I'm going to do in a few days' time. But, But Jesus didn't say that. But he did define what it means to love each other. In fact, if you were to define that, you were to put it into words, I would say this, that deep is being in over your head. You're in the pool, there's the shallow end and the deep end. The deep end's deep for a reason. The deep, the deep end is there because you can't touch the bottom. It's there because if you go down, like it'll, it'll be, you'll be in over your head. To love people in this deep way is to get messy. It's to put yourself in a place where it's uncomfortable, where you don't know all the answers, where you have to navigate the messiness of life. In fact, if you really want to be a Jesus follower who's deep, go and adopt some kids. If you really want to be a Jesus follower who's deep, take a big chunk of your money and give it away to a non-profit or a local church that's making a difference, right? If you really want to be deep as a Jesus follower, take up the time that you have, the free time that you have, and serve in a church or serve in a non-profit that's making a difference in the world and is making an impact in your local community. That's what Jesus defined deep as. And if you're not a Jesus follower in the room, right now you're probably thinking like, my goodness, I'm so glad I didn't sign up for this, right? Because that's full on, right? That is full on. uh, That's a lot, right? But if you are a Jesus follower, this is something we've got to take seriously because Jesus defined deep. He said, hey, it's being in over your head and he commanded what? It's being in over your head in love for your neighbor. Now, I understand if you're a Jesus follower, you might kind of feel like this message is like a personal attack on you. You're like, whoa, it's kind of going in. I get that. So there's only a few more minutes of shirt fronting before we kind of get out of here. Next week's going to be a whole lot more fun, I promise. But we like to do this thing um, here at Beyond where we kind of give a full Monday, which is sort of the practical application for everything we've been talking about. Um, Mainly because we think, what's the point in in gathering together if it's not going to make a difference in your life for the rest of the week? So here's two questions that I want you to consider. And if you look at these questions and you just think to yourself, they're uncomfortable. Yes, they are. If it's any consolation, when I wrote this message about a month ago, I've been, these questions have been rattling around in my brain for about a month. And they are, they're, they're uncomfortable questions. So here's the first one. It's a blank screen. That's okay. Here's the first one. I've got it written down here. Um, what story does your life tell about Jesus? Now, careful, because what, I, what, I, what the question is, is not what story do you want it to tell? That's a, that's a good question. That's a helpful question, but it's not the question. The question is, right now, what story does your life tell about Jesus? Or if your coworkers looked in, or your family looked in, or the people at uni looked in, how would they describe, would, would Jesus kind of come into it? 
Would it be part of the story at all? But what story does your life right now tell about Jesus? And here's, here's the second question. If everyone behaved like you, what would the local church look like? Right now, as a Jesus follower, if, if everyone had your spiritual practices, would our church be closer to Jesus or further away? But if, if, if everyone gave how much money you gave, oh, that's awkward, isn't it? Would our church be able to serve our community or not? If everyone served and volunteered and gave of their time the way that you give of your time, what, what, would, our, what would our church look like? And, and I get that those are uncomfortable questions, but, but here's why those are some questions worth considering. Maybe for more than a week, it's simply this, because you're the church, right? The church is not a building. Jesus was really clear. The church is not a building. The church is a movement of people. You are the church. More than that, you are our church, if you say, say, hey, beyond is my church, you're our church, and you are your church. Could you just imagine, just, just for a moment, could you just imagine that from this moment onwards, you kind of stop thinking about the church as a building, you stop thinking about the church as like a Sunday, but you start to recognize, hang on a minute, I am the church. When I go into my workplace, when I go into my community, when people look at me, they look at the church. And could you imagine if you just started to take that idea out into your life? What would need to change? What would you need to reevaluate? And more than this, how would your community look different? How would your workplace look different if they saw that brand of love lived out? If they saw that way of following Jesus lived out? Because I don't know about you, but I, I want for the next generation of people, I want for the people in your workplace, I think God wants for the people in your workplace and for the next generation to see a brand of love that actually inspires them to follow Him, that inspires them to lean in and move in that direction. So think about that this week. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to look at some practical ways that, as, uh, that we can do that as we wrap this series up. But why don't we pray? Jesus... It is uh, sometimes really easy to, uh, to just kind of fall into habits of asking the question, hey, what's in it for me? Just fall into the habits of, you know, going through the motions. But the reality is, is that that's not what you've called us to do. That's not what you've asked us to do. Lord, you've asked us to be in over our heads in the way we love other people. And that's not something that if we're your followers, we can delegate to someone else, but that's something that we have to take seriously. And so, Jesus, I pray that this week that we take some time to evaluate and to think through, hey, what, is, what is story does my life tell? And what story do I want my life to tell into the future? And that we would begin to think about how we could take some action and move in that direction this week. pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Well, once again, thanks so much for listening. And hey, if you live in the Griffin, Marumba Downs, North Lakes, or Moreton Bay region, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend environments. You can find out more by heading to our website, beyondchurch.com.au. You'll find directions, service times, and what you can expect, as well as information on our Upstreet Kids Club, which is our primary school-aged environment, and Infinity Youth, our high school-aged environment. That website, beyondchurch.com.au.